here we go. An epic episode, episode number five of Life in Commune. If you're a new listener, welcome. Welcome. Now's a great time if you're a new listener to hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating before you even, even listen to the podcast. Even listen to a word. You might as well just hit it with that five-star <laughs> real quick. Just just because. Just like out of love, out of faith. like sharing the positivity, good faith. Like maybe we're going to do a good job. We hope to guide you in the right direction in this mm-hmm. one. We are talking about a little bit of pop culture today. We yes. are coming in with something that took over the hearts, minds, and imaginations of, well, Everyone. probably about one-seventh of the planet. Game of Thrones. Now, this is a little departure from our talk about what it's like to become a yoga teacher or relationships or personal growth, but I I do think there are some themes that tie in. Some big themes. Honestly, I think that's part of the reason we actually want to talk about this show in general, because I think there's some really big things to pick up, not about the sh- not only about the show, but about some of the overarching narratives and also about the execution of the last two so seasons. So let's start this by saying a quick spoiler alert. They're on the way. There will be lots of spoilers. We are now, what are we, three weeks or a month past the final episode of the final season of Game of Thrones. We've had a little distance to digest yeah. after some over-obsessive consumption, largely on my part. Um, but for any of you guys who are are not finished with the series, you haven't started it, you're on book one... There's going to be some spoilers. And also that means we're going to be talking about possibly some themes that are like a little less appropriate. But if you're cool with Game of Thrones, then you'll be cool with what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, just, we're going to walk the path. We're going to see see how this goes. Yeah. If you're on book one, you should pause now and then just set it aside for the rest of your life because George is never going to finish the series. Wow. No faith. I mean, I... Come on. Have some faith. <laughs> Bring some positivity. This is a positive He's podcast a, he did about pro- positivity. He, did, he promised that by, he, by the time he went to some summit or conference in New Zealand in 2020... He would have Winds of Winter done. He is, he's the prince that was promised right now. He's making some he promises. He's he, a prince. He said that he would. But well, I don't believe him because he said many things. Long story short, you guys, this is going to be a bit all over the place because we're not going to go through <laughs> the series in chronological order or anything. There's going to be plenty of spoilers. Carling and I both watched through the series a few times, mm-hmm. save for the last season. Didn't really need to. Saw it. Came I saw I conquered. Yeah, but I've read the, I've read the books as well, and uh, if you need more recap, there are a lot of Game of Thrones centric podcasts that can take you through. But so that's just not what this one is. We're just going to talk about some themes and some things that I think most common fans maybe don't think about because you get caught up in the in the heat in the emotion of the series. Anyways, yada yada yada. Let's get into the heart mm-hmm. of this podcast today. I think overarching theme number one. Keeping it light is uh, don't sleep with your relatives. Well, I think that's good. <laughs> it, didn't, it, I didn't, think it didn't end well for anybody. Doesn't end well for anyone in the series. <laughs> and you know, after many years of almost a little glorification of incest, at, yeah. I will say at least we ended on a note of hey, probably not going to bode well for you. Probably not a good move. Yes. Probably not a good move. So that's a great a great place to start. Yeah. One of the biggest things I think to me with the way that the show ended is that it gives you an actual opportunity to go through one of the things I think is the most challenging things in life, which is how do you separate emotion from a situation and get into the realm of fact? Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible? This is, and you guys, to be perfectly honest, this is one of the main reasons that I actually wanted to bring this up on the podcast and have an episode about this. Because Carling was kind of against, just like, I don't really know if it ties to what we're trying to do. 
and she's, always, and she's, and she's a fanatic to, fan. She's a massive fan. Where it's like, Carlin could keep rewatching the show. I can't watch it anymore. Like, I, I don't, I, if you, I have, don't understand why you would ever watch it again because the ending in the last two seasons are so poorly done, um, in my opinion, that it, it, it's not the, the, the events of what happened, it's the execution of those yeah. events that, that is really um, poor. And, and so, so to me, I'm not, I would never be really motivated to rewatch it. But I think it brings up a really interesting point about actually looking at what happens in the show versus your attachment to the characters or your to attachment to the world or your attachment to what you perceived the world to be in the first place. So it opens up a lot of really interesting points to think about and to discuss. Right, because I'm on the other end of the spectrum where <clears throat> excuse me, I could live in the world forever, like yeah. I tend to do with everything that I like, right? Mm-hmm. With Harry Potter, when I was really into the Hunger Games, and I sound like a, very much a teenage girl as I say these things, but... I mean, I have some parts of you you are, and the I, other yeah. parts of you you're 55. It's how you set your perfect age. <laughs> I mean, I have 32. I have look re- at me admitting your actual age. 32. That's correct. I mean, yeah. I have reread Harry Potter, the series, probably 10 times. I feel that's an exaggeration, but I'll kick you five. Uh, I'll kick you five. You gotta you think kn- I started reading these in sixth grade, though. I know, but but even still, reading the series all oh, the way through 10 times i have this is embarrassing and maybe you don't even know this because like when i drove us to california when we moved down initially to la things like that i listened to three of the harry potter i'm not books. talking about listening i'm talking about reading oh i can i consider it listening no, i did two different things really two different things but just because you fall asleep during audiobooks two different things okay exactly. i don't fall asleep things. i listen to books all day long and podcasts <laughs> semantics so. don't matter here yeah, but either way, it's easy to get you, immersed. You like to immerse yourself I in do. these uh, these worlds. Yes, I'm happy to. I get okay, a little so wrapped up. Off off the top of the bat, slight slight distraction, but which which of these four worlds is are you more immersed in? Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Hunger Games, Harry Potter. In order. At this moment in time. Yes, this moment in time. Currently, as of whatever today's date is, the the nineteenth of June. I would say this isn't reflective of my priority in terms of which world I like the best, but what yep. I am most immersed in at this moment is yes. still probably Game of Thrones, yep. Harry Potter, yes. Star Wars, yep. Hunger Games. Star Wars in third. Well, Star Wars is in third only because when we restarted watching the whole the whole series, like last year, and we were gonna we were going through every episode of Clone Wars, everything. Um, we have a lot of downtime on flights, you guys. A lot of downtime on flights to watch things. Um, there's just so much to make it through. That it's a lot of content. And when you would travel and be gone, I wouldn't want to continue without you. Yeah. So then I would drop back into Harry Potter or Hunger Games or something gotcha. that you don't mind missing out on. You can get you can get some of those Jar Jar episodes. Because right now that. I'm re-listening to all of the Harry Potters, and then I rewatch the movie, and then I re-listen to the next one, and then I rewatch the movie. Even even original movies. Yeah, yeah, one, I did. I did. First three. I did one, two, and three already. I did them while you were gone in Europe. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I, I, sorry, it's that it's that pregnancy life. I, well, I mean, that you're living. Your, you got to find your I, joy. You got to find your joy any way you my can. Assumption maybe is I'm maybe have, that's an overarching theme of this of this podcast as well as finding your joy and maybe looking past certain things. I gotta assume also one. I like to listen to books and podcasts while I work out, so yeah. I could be on on the treadmill or whatever and listen to chapters and chapters or hours of podcasts, or while I go for a walk with Yokai. And two, I'm assuming I'm going to have a lot of time 
in or around the bed for the next month or so. Yeah. So I'm trying to set myself up for a good place rather than trying having to watch, you know, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone at three in the morning while breastfeeding. You never have to watch that movie. Like I though. said, but see? You, but you never have to. Like, you could just be done. It's a bad movie. Anyways, let's keep pushing forward into our, actual, <laughs> into our actual Game of Thrones. <coughs> so one of the reasons that I think it's interesting to start to look at the facts of, of the events that actually happen in the show, especially in season seven and season eight, is that it really changes your perspective on what what took place or what occurred because it leaves up so it leaves so much room for interpretation right and no scene creates more or leaves more room for interpretation than maybe the last big monologue of the show the last big scene they pull your boy Tyrion out of jail manacled manacled and he and he kicks a monologue that essentially picks the the new king. Well, he goes from prisoner on from death prisoner row on death row to all of a sudden speaker of the house and dictating a vote. Yes. And lecturing like wandering the floor away from his guard as if he wasn't yeah on death row and is all of a sudden dictating the future of the realm. So all the hubbub about Danny and John Mm-hmm. And how all that shakes out and breaks down. This scene, to me, single-handedly changes the entire show. And here's the reason. While there's a lot of magic and a lot of mysticism that happens throughout the world of Game of Thrones, obviously there's wargs, there's uh, dragons, there's white walkers, there's big the ice walls, there's the Lord of Light... Uh, which doesn't get ever explained. There's some time uh, loops with Hodor. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that happens. The single most powerful capability in the world of Game of Thrones is Tyrion's ability to manipulate. In fact, I would say that it is a superpower that is capable of doing pretty much anything. In almost any scenario. In almost any scenario, right? So... So if you look at Tyrion, such a beloved character early on in the show Mm -hmm. that people forget to actually look at what he's doing. Like you don't look at his his efforts or his scenes or what he's accomplishing on a factual basis. Well, we're emotionally attached to Tyrion and his plight. And as being comedic, Mm -hmm. as being the... The entertainer of the show, I would say, for the first four and seasons. And frankly, one of the best actors on the show as well. Yeah, no, like, but I mean, there's yeah, a reason why he's beloved. Oh, for sure. Even though he hasn't made a good decision since season five, arguably. So, so I think that's intentional. You really... Okay. So, I, so in my belief, right? Again, based on the last scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, based on the last scene. It, change, it, it changes the entire narrative of the show because... It, you can tie every decision that Tyrion makes um, from after the Battle of the Blackwater mm-hmm. to his rise into essentially being the Lord of the Realm, right? So based on the last scene, because again, this dude is coming off of death row, manacled. He says a speech that's five minutes long in front of eight people, and all of a sudden he is Hand of the King. He just chose the new king who is emotionless. He took that new king out of that person's strength by taking him away from the dogwoods. He kicked the people that wanted to kill him out of the 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 unsullied or on their way out. Yeah. He does this in five minutes. 
yes. in five minutes, right? So again, this is my fan theory, but I believe that after the Battle of Blackwater, when Tyrion is sitting in that small room in King's Landing with a scar across his face, he starts plotting his rise to the throne. And his rise to the throne includes bad decision-making for everybody else. Do you think that that's a very risky approach, given that, that Danny almost iced him down a few times because he made such bad decisions? It was the only path he saw for him to get there. Yes, or had he not been rescued by Jamie? Again, yeah. I'm, every, you're, if you're playing for the throne, you're playing with your life. That's true. Right? There's, there's it's no. Always on the table. As, as Ned Stark learned early on, mm-hmm. right? If you're playing for the throne, you're playing for your life. And so, and so what, what I think, again, when you, start to, when you start to actually look at what Tyrion does, everything he does holds back other people after season three, right? Season three, he's all about like saving King's Landing, saving Joffrey, serving his family, mm-hmm. being loyal. Yes, right? he's truly then, on board then, with helping the world. And then he realizes, and you get, and you guys, these are just based on facts of the show. I have no, I'm removing the emotion, right? You sound a little emotional. No, I'm not. I'm totally good. <laughs> no, the only, there's a few characters I'm well, emotional about. Well, I think because about, you don't like the ending of it, there is a separate emotion though also. No, but, but, but again, it's, it's not about me not liking the ending. Like I was fine with the events of how it ended. I'm yeah. just saying based on the execution, it leaves so much stuff up for, oh. Interpretation. Interpretation. Yes. And based on this interpretation, I can make these claims about Tyrion and they're not wrong. Well, yeah, that's fair. And, and that, that, that's what I really mean. That, that's kind of like what I'm trying to get to is mm-hmm. like a point of, of um, looking at the, the show in a bigger way. Got it. Right, more than just entertainment, more than just like a linear string of events, but actually, oh, like Tyrion could have been making all these plotting decisions. He realized that loyalty got him nowhere, mm-hmm. so he just starts only serving himself, committing crazy acts of treason, yeah. holding Daenerys back. Because again, if one dragon iced down King's Landing in you know the span of three hours, what's to say three dragons? Couldn't have done that. Why did she need an army in the first place? No, she could have flown overseas. She could have flown overseas and burned King's Landing to the ground, and then and then dealt with the army later, right? Like boom, like that's done. But Tyrion holds her back. He's Mm -hmm. part of the council that tries to hold her back from actually accomplishing her tasks. True. Right. And so again, these are just things that he does during the show. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not making anything up here. These are just. I'm just I'm just saying there's emotion in it. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. But I'm saying it's it's a it's it's your interpretation of the events. Of the events. Yes. yes. And again, so I think because of this lack of execution and just some really really bad scenes mm-hmm. in season 8 and 7 and 8, you get these these places where you're like, "Oh, like that that is actually what happened. Like Tyrion's ability to manipulate is actually the most powerful um superpower if you will terrible sentence I'm sorry for that but the the strongest superpower in the entire show well I mean his whole lecture of what's more powerful than the what's more pervasive than the power of storytelling yeah is one hilarious because tons of things are more important than the power of storytelling in the world of Games of Thrones like in the words of Aaron Rodgers, like everything is more important or or, or just that everybody had a better story than literally everyone had a better story than Brad but the Tyrion's ability to storytell has been the most powerful one. Yes. Is that he was spinning stories and webs the whole time, more yes. than anyone, more than even, say, Varys, the, the spider. Completely. Yes. 
And so I think that's like a really interesting thing to to think about. So you think that 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 perspective is more of a if you weren't invested emotionally and you just saw the layout of events and the ascension of people and the movement of characters that you might that someone that that might be the conclusion that more people came to. Yeah. Without as much emotion. Yes, exactly. I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in Danny and John as we all did. Mm-hmm. Right. True, yes. Right, it's so easy to have wanted John to be the prince that was promised. It was so easy to want for John to be more. It was so yes. easy for to want Danny to win. It's mm-hmm. so easy to, um, you know, to believe these things. Well, that's the thing with Danny, too, that always made me laugh, is everyone who was super Danny fans, which I've never been a super Danny fan. I mean, I like Danny, but the whole white savior aspect was so weird for so long. Like, that, se- that scene in season three The Mesa scene. The Mesa scene. This, a little it's weird. Just, it's, it's a lot it's always hard to digest so it's hard to root for that but um this idea that we've all heard her say season after season i will take the throne with fire and blood mm-hmm. i will take the throne with fire and blood fire and blood fire and blood yeah. i will it's pretty much as common of a phrase said, as winter is coming yeah she has said over and over and over again i will do what i need to do and i will burn the city to the ground if i need to to do it yeah and then when she does it, everyone's like, oh my god, they ruined her character. Yeah. I can't believe they had I was her like, do no, this. She said she was going to do that. I named my daughter Khaleesi. Like, yeah. what am I going to do? And it's like, how many times does she have to tell you that she's happy to, to use violence and yeah. force to make it happen? And how many times, how many, you know, innocent, innocent, quote, in quotes, masters does she have to crucify and burn with uh, Dracarys in the. Why can't I think about it? In the caverns. Yeah. She burns the innocent guy who maybe did something, maybe not. But how many times do we have to see her be violent and unhinged before we believe it? Yeah. But because we're emotionally attached to her, yeah. we're like, no, she's the queen. Yeah. She's, she saved those people. She freed those slaves. And I'm like, yeah, but she's told us over and over again, with fire and blood, she'll take what she's And, and also, I think one of the things, speaking about Danny that I felt was really missed with people's reaction to her is that her actual supporters mm-hmm. right so her actual supporters would have been stoked that she burned down the whole city oh yeah yeah stoked I mean they, Dothraki they and Unsullied are like wait, what, what have we been waiting for we've been talking about doing this forever but like they, they would care less that, that if she saved everybody in King's Landing or killed everybody well in it's King's one Landing. of the things I quite appreciated about the last couple episodes because even though the last season was rushed and it lacked nuance or any script writing and and good um, dialogue, which was such a key part of the show. Yeah. But the baseline that the Dothraki and the Unsullied are pumped up and happy to rape and pillage mm-hmm. shouldn't be a surprise to anyone when they've been told by their queen over and over again, we're going to cross the narrow sea, we are going to take this city with yeah. fire and blood, we are going to do this, you are owed this, this is your new world. Yeah. Of course they are. Like, it's part of... One, the reason they were such good armies for her, and mm-hmm. two, what she's been promising this, them this whole time. Yeah. So I thought they did a good job of making it very clear that they were pumped up at that sort of like Nazi rally. She gives that, that speech, which is the dopest cinematography. Yeah, one of in, the best in this in the one of the most beautiful eight. scenes. Yeah, especially when they're walking up and then uh, Drogon's wings come up behind mm-hmm. her, like. Whoa. Well, it's just re- I think that dope. that part is really really well done. I think it's like one of the best her, scenes. Her, her last big speech. We just needed you know three more episodes before we got there. Before we got there, yeah. <laughs> And, or another, time, or, and another two afterwards. Or or like a time jump where like they were doing more like terrible things. Yes. You know because because again I think I think one of the when you watch the episode that everyone was so alarmed about you know the one where she burns down King's Landing. The bells. Yeah the the bells. Um, 
when she's up there on Drogon, she's up there by herself, and Aemon Targaryen classically says in one of the earlier seasons, right, a Targaryen alone in this world is a terrible, terrible thing. thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's alone. She's been betrayed by her closest advisors. The person that she loves will not be with her mm-hmm. because they're related. Respect John for that decision. <laughs> Best decision you made. Um, uh, even though she's a babe, mm-hmm. but still, mm-hmm. don't date your relatives. Yeah, um, you know. But she's alone. Yeah. she's done all of this. She's accomplished everything, mm-hmm. and she's still alone, alone. And she's still alone, right? Also, um, in the Battle of the Blackwater, Sir Davos does say bell ringing does not signal um, surrender. Surrender. He does. Is, is it? You can watch it in the there show. There are a lot Re- of conflicting direct quotes. So. <laughs> that um, make things a little questionable. So, so um, again, the, the bells ringing does not equal surrender, just for a fact, according to Sir Davos in season three, when they're in the Battle of Blackwater. Yes. One of the actual I've, proper... I think he two, says, I've never known bells to mean surrender. Yes. Or something the, like that. Direct quote. Yeah, well, he's direct on the boat quote. with his son. As you guys can tell, we're pretty nerdy into this stuff. Uh, like we, yeah. But, but, but I think it's because it brings up some of these more interesting conversations yeah. that you can begin to Well, and I think discuss. that even though, like, like, you and I can be deep into it and disagree on perspectives mm-hmm. or things like that, totally. um, it's interesting because it does open up my eyes. Like, at the end, I hadn't really thought about Tyrion actually being some mastermind. I thought he was just a person who was able to turn situations in the moment. Yeah. I never thought about him, like, masterminding any of it. And again... I so- just thought he was someone who he is constantly only invested in self-preservation despite at the end trying to you know oh i loved her too this that and the other he's really just always been a creature of self-preservation as he should be given the life he's lived so, so i think so that's he is how that. i've always interpreted his character but, but i legitimately think Tyrion has a superpower with the way that they present him in the show yeah. especially in the seventh and eighth season he has the superpower of manipulation through speech. Which I think is a huge mistake on the writer's part. Yes. Because those are the same seasons when you see them start to phase out the actual magical aspect of the show. Yeah. Which the show has always been about having these mystical elements of dragons and the Lord of Light and in the books even more so. And George R. R. Martin talks about all of this being... I mean, most of Game of Thrones is a reaction to him loving... Um, Lord of the Rings as a child mm-hmm. and wanting it to be wanting a better resolution to that wanting mm-hmm. a better story but still loving Lord of the Rings and well, so the Lord of the Rings resolution was better than this so I, well, yeah, that's, swing and a miss yeah, on so that so we're hoping that you know his, if, he ever, if he ever finishes those one. books that we will get that promise um, yeah. fulfilled but this idea that okay we're just going to trade out this mystical element for instead the p- geopolitical element mm-hmm. and we kind of use Tyrion to fill that void yes and that is really unfortunate to me since part of the coolest thing about the show was that it was not just a political drama but it was a fantasy story i agree and i understand that probably most mainstream audiences uh, that like maybe fantasy isn't where they see the most success and so many people are attached to say Tyrion or the dramatics of politics. Mm-hmm. I just think it was such a disservice to the story and all of the depth and nuance that we'd created with all of the mysticism to then just say, eh, screw it, let's just talk about politics instead. Like, that's what we need more of. Yeah. Like, instead of, we just kind of threw all that stuff out the window and said, yeah, let Tyrion tell the story instead yeah. of all of these amazing storytelling exactly. tools that had already been built in. We just exactly. kind of wiped them out and so, ignored them. So that, that's, you're tapping into exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Whereas where essentially... If 
the first six seasons are one way, but the and they're very well scripted, mm-hmm. and the story moves at a particular pace. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to seven and eight, because of the laziness or the lack of time, or them being pumped that they got to do Star Wars next, which if they ruined <laughs> that, one foot out oh the door. my goodness, yeah, who knows? But um, but because of that, they use Tyrion as kind of this like storytelling character Mm -hmm. which essentially gives him superpowers that that I don't think he was intended to have. No. But based on what is visually represented to me on the screen, that is a character with superpowers. Mm -hmm. Like you can't you can't say, right, coming back to the initial point of this conversation, (laughs) that somebody coming off of death row in chains after who knows how much time a month he grew a beard so yeah that's the only passage of time indication month, that we got was that Sansa months, made it from the north and two, two weeks that him like, and John both have beards yeah two weeks you know okay he has a beard he has a beard he comes out and he speaks for five minutes and he manipulates everybody that's looking at him the somehow like most valuable lords and ladies of Westeros yeah which questionable bench there also there's way more uh, kingdoms and realms that should have been represented there instead of the, the randos that we got right. but somehow Tyrion got it was, a mo- to, it was a ragtag team it was right I love the when Sir Davos is like I don't think I get to vote I'm like you're right Sir Davos you don't you don't get you to don't. vote there are lords and ladies of, of actual realms and castles that are not here and Sir Davos you don't get a vote yeah like who invited you besides that you're a great character yeah but literally who invited you <laughs> so again just, just applying it briefly outside of game of thrones before we jump back in <laughs> it's really interesting when you start to look at events and things that happen to you on a day-to-day basis and where can you move away from emotion which is so challenging like yeah. maybe I think it's maybe one of the hardest things to do as a human being. Well, and I just wonder sometimes. I mean, yes, not every situation should be emotionally driven. Yeah. But I wonder if it's one possible to truly separate yourself, and two healthy to truly separate yourself. I don't, I don't know. And I, I, I'm not saying I know yeah. absolutely, but in my and maybe that's because I am an a, a emotionally driven person. I suppose yeah. no matter how much research or logical. Um, organizing I do beforehand ultimately my decision is almost always emotional yeah like I could research the hell out of something and then still make the same emotional decision I would have made the, the, I think that, I, I think there's anything. always emotion based in everything because emotion yeah. is part of choice right yes. and choice is preference preference is <sighs> which w- you sorry know. just reminded me of one of the best lines of the whole show which is which is Mance Raider when he says all I ever wanted was the freedom to make my own mistakes uh-huh. it's, it's this all I ever wanted, I didn't want to be king, I didn't want to be this, but all I ever wanted was the freedom to make my own mistakes. I'm just stoked and quite impressed that you pulled a Mance Raider quote <laughs> out of thin air. It was like, it was floating above you and then you grabbed it. It was like, oh, like, this yes. is perfectly relevant. Mance yeah. Raider is one of my favorite, favorite characters on the show. Yeah. I think he is a prolific character and one of the best leaders that exists in the show that also has a lot of humility and he makes mistakes, but does them for the right reasons and I, I think he's one of the best characters yeah I think he I think there's a lot of well-rounded characters mm-hmm. if, if your character arc began anywhere in season one and ended by season six outside, you, you might have had a lovely character yeah, arc. outside of the red woman I think she finished strong almost I, almost almost pretty good yeah almost pretty good. I thought that she was pretty good we could have got a little more explanation with her but you know a little more we could have gotten hey. 
an entire explanation girl. of the Lord of Light or like his impact also, or Lightbringer or anything. Er, early on, she's not wearing the necklace too much. Yeah, just, we, just throwing that out there. Yes, this is about as bad as the Starbucks cup. Like, yeah. She takes a bath without the necklace on in like season two. Yeah. Or early on, she's not wearing the necklace yes. for the record mm-hmm. in most scenes. So, yes. you know, little little show details. There's some congruency flaws. Yeah. I remember we were rewatching it recently. Um, that that's what I kept mentioning. Every she's time. not like, wearing oh, it. Yeah, she's not having the necklace on. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of problems with that. Yeah. But okay. So do I think you can make decisions without emotion? Yeah. Maybe, in theory. But do I think that it makes them any more or less the right decision? I don't know. I guess that's. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Right, right and wrong is a lot of the time based on perspective. Certainly. So, again, Certainly. like <laughs> when we had a jeep, it was an emotional decision. We did. We had a Jeep, a Jeep Wrangler that was very fun to drive. It was awesome. It was really cool. And it got 13 miles to the gallon. It was a not a good logical choice. And we eventually traded in for a diesel that gets 40 miles a gallon because we were feeling terrible about ourselves and our impact on the planet while driving the Jeep, but feeling cool. At I liked home. the Jeep. I yeah, emotionally, I thought it was quite a cool car. Yeah. But, but logically, it made logically, no sense. Logically, it made no sense. So, you know, there's always emotion with everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that. It, it's get, like beginning to know when you're leaning more into emotion versus when you're leaning more into logic. I think we yes. touched um, probably a bit on stuff like that when it came to relationships mm-hmm. um, in our long distance relationship podcast. But um, but it, it's really beginning to tap into that and and, and understanding like especially um, you know it, it, with your with your job. I think it's maybe one of the best things to try and look at something logistically versus emotionally because. Your job is something that you have to do in order to have resources to live your life. True story. And so I think that the more you can, um, you know, really, really look at your job logically and without emotion mm-hmm. and saying, oh, this is this actually supports my life and I'm good with the work. I feel, yes. I feel okay with it versus, wow, I love my job, but I also love living this way or that mm-hmm. way. And then it doesn't. You know, you know what I mean. You keep you keep running into walls and roadblocks because you love what your work is, but it also isn't serving your lifestyle. So you have one of two choices there: you can either limit your lifestyle so that the job that you love mm-hmm. supports you, yes. or you have to change your job. Well, that, I remember when I was trying to quit my full time job so I could start teaching full time, and I couldn't quit yet. I just couldn't logistically. I talk you into it. And yeah, and it was really hard for me to go to work. I didn't feel good about what I was doing. I can't say the company was doing much good in the world. Um, and it was kind of soul sucking. But at the end of the day, the job still afforded me a paycheck to pay rent, benefits so that I could have health care. And it afforded me the time to glean more experience at the next job for me. Mm-hmm. But had I let my emotions get the best of me and just quit when I wanted to, I would have been in a much bigger hole and logically it didn't make sense. It made more sense for me to just look at my job and say, okay, this is not what I want to be doing long term. This is not forever. But right now, this is how I'm living my life. It's sustaining me, helps me put food on the table. It means I can go to the doctor. And that is why I go to work every day. Yeah. Not because I like it, not because it's emotionally fulfilling, but it's also not forever. But yeah. logically, it makes sense for it, me to be here. It's part of your process. Yes. And once you looked at it, at it logically, mm-hmm. you embrace that it was part of your process and then i could go without could go. getting worked up mm-hmm. i could go and i could deal with it and, and i could tolerate it and it didn't have to be a thing that drained joy out of the rest of my life it yeah. could just be this is what i do for eight hours this is how i pay my bills and the rest of my life is great yeah mm-hmm. 
I also think this actually moves into our next Game of Thrones point, which is your perspective creates the narratives that you are capable of seeing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a really, really interesting point that the show does a phenomenal job of, especially early on. How shocked were you, season one, first time through, when our boy Ned goes down? The first time? Floored. Floored. Couldn't believe it. I'm like, floored. well, should have known because one, Sean Bean always dies. But always more death sentence than anyone. Always, or is it double cross? M- most double crosses or double cross. cross. Most double cross action. Yes, then no other Where actor. He's the crosser. Or like in Goldeneye. Like in Goldeneye. The movie when you're does like, not play back well, by no, the way. No, you're like, what's going to happen to Sean Bean? Well, he's obviously going to die and he's going <laughs> to double cross. It's only, only an outcome. Yeah. Um, but the first time, shocked. And we're sitting shocked. on the floor of our apartment watching it and being stunned that that happened. Couldn't believe it. But upon rewatching and reading the books... The most obvious. Not a surprise at all. Most obvious death. Well, you when you in rewatch it, you see and hear. George is pretty much riding that for you for like in the show. It's like three episodes. In the book, it's probably like three hundred pages. But of you don't. Like, you, Ned is poor decision making. Ned is walking down the path to death every time. He's like, "Well, I'll just go talk to Cersei and tell yeah. her my plan." You're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go tell Cersei your plan. Yeah. I'm sure that'll bode well." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Littlefinger, he's the one for you to trust. Yeah. Just over and over again, every time he talks, you're like, oh no. Yeah, because oh, again, no. the most common narrative we all see really is the Marvel Comics type narrative. Yeah, where main characters don't die. Yeah, where, where nothing really happens to a main character. Yes. And so that's the narrative that's built into our minds so often from society. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you just can't even read the obvious clues that are punching you in well, the face. Well, you're blinded by the fact that yeah. there's no... he's. Clearly the that he's the hero character. character. He's the first person that's filmed on the show, I think. The first scene of the show is him chopping that dude's head off, isn't it? I think the first he, scene is actually in the north. It's in the north, yeah. Ned chops the dude's head yeah, off. Yeah, no, no. I think the first scene is actually the guy running from White the wall. Walkers and stuff in the north. But it's not Ned. I thought it was the guy running from the wall, and they catch him, and he's a deserter of the wall. Yeah, I just mean like the literal first okay, scene but, is in the north. But, but it's one of the very first One of the scenes. first big scenes, yes. It's when he executes the guy and when they find the dire wolves. Yeah. Um... But we are told from the very beginning that Ned is our main character. That yeah. Ned is our hero. N- Ned is our, he is our lens into the story. He mm-hmm. is our main narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the books, which switches narration depending on the, the chapter. But he's our lens through which we see like Westeros. And so our expectation is that he is, even no matter how many mistakes he'll make, that he will be sort of infallible at the end. Yes. And I think that it's the first time that the show sets this tone of subversion that we're going to constantly subvert your expectations. But again, they really aren't. Like on the no, no, second they're tr- watch. They're yeah. playing with those narratives that we already have. Yes. Like we don't expect, again, like in Lord of the Rings, you don't expect Frodo to die right away. Right? No. You're like, okay. It's Frodo's story. Yeah, it's Frodo's story. There's, and, others, there's other characters. Yes. There's Sam and there's Aragorn. But we, and think, yeah, we yeah. think that Ned is our Frodo at first. Like we mm-hmm. think Ned is our main character. We don't expect Harry to die in the first book. Yeah. Right? Like, that's not the story. Oh, that's a, that's a, t- a podcast topic for a different time. But, <laughs> but yes, it, I agree. And so you just can't even see it. No, you don't even see the clues, even though they're right in front of you. <clears throat> and then re-watching it, you're like, wow, Ned is so thick-headed. Like, he's just so 
dumb. And you see other characters tell him over and over again how dumb he is. Yeah, like he's like, Ned, you're dumb. Don't do that. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm a loyal man. And yeah. you just see it over and over again. And it's mirrored later with John, too. Yes. Where John's biggest idol is, is Ned. Ned. And he wants so deeply to be that loyal man that he makes the same mistakes with different consequences. Yes. But he makes the same mistakes of, of choosing loyalty over logic. Mm-hmm. Over and over again. Yeah. L-O-E. Loyalty over everything. Loyalty over everything. Yes. Yeah. So again, actually, actually, be able to look at things from a perspective because you, when the red wedding happened, I remember I came back from a trip. Oh my god. And we, you had the show on, and you'd already seen the episode because you couldn't wait. Thanks. No, no, I hadn't. I you read had, the book. You I read the book. Okay. No, 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 I hadn't read the. No, the red wedding was a shock to me. Oh, it was a shock to you. I was not shocked. You were not shocked. That's I was not book. shocked at all. I hadn't read that book yet. I started the books after season one is when I went back and started the books. Yeah. Or season two, and so I was behind. I hadn't got there yet. After the red wedding was when I was like, I gotta read these books because this is too stressful. It for was me. too stressful. Yes, that's what. Um, because the red wedding. Like, really fucked me up. Like but, I, I had but, nightmares for days. But I wasn't shocked in the slightest. Yeah. So like when when the red wedding came, I was getting used to these narratives mm-hmm. being different. And the the true narrative of the show is really essentially the moment you stop playing for the throne, you're dead. If you're, yeah, you're playing out. for it. If so, if you're playing for the throne, you're going to you're either going to win or die, right? And the what moment. What a great line! Did you hear that somewhere? When you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or die. I was gonna say win or learn, John Kavanaugh, but <laughs> but not in this show. You 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 leave. Yes. So, um, but I was like, oh, Rob fell in love. He's not playing for the throne anymore. Yes, he's distracted. He did. He's distracted. He did. Like yeah. as soon would, as the path pivots, yeah, it's when you start to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're a character that's playing for the throne, and you when you you know you you diverted course. You were Whereas I saw Rob get distracted, but I didn't see that path forward. Yeah. And then later when I read the books, and the Red Wedding is a little different in the books because his story with his wife isn't quite the same and things like that. But I was so ready for it the whole time that I, like, every time in the books, I was almost looking for those clues. Yeah. Oh, God, Rob's fucking up. Oh, he's distracted. Oh, yeah. this. Oh, that. Uh, waiting for those things over and over again that it was, I... One, I obviously knew it was coming, but two, I could see all the clues and breadcrumbs that were being dropped. Yeah. Whereas in the show, I couldn't. Upon rewatching, I could. Yeah. I still really can't rewatch the Red Wedding though, because it's just. We skipped it. Also, we rewatched this this uh, the whole During show pregnancy. recently while I was pregnant, and it's a little I'm, I'm not into putting the, those pictures in my head right now. No. We gotta keep it positive for this beautiful mind. Gotta keep gotta keep it gotta keep it light and happy. But in there. I do think that it's one of the best. Um, Modes the best parts of the storytelling is the red wedding. Mm-hmm. Throughout the books and the shows, they do a great job with telling us or showing us truly what happens in like the spoils of war. Yeah, and they do a good job because the red wedding is so shocking to all of us, or maybe not to you, but it was a shocking development because we're lulled into again, just like we were with Ned, lulled into safety because he's the quote unquote main character. We're lulled into safety with this idea of breaking bread mm-hmm. and. Ritual, which they don't do a great job introducing in the show, but in the book, they spend a lot of time talking about once you break bread, bread and salt, once you're under someone else's roof and you've done these things, there's no way which anything bad ever happens. You're safe. Yeah. There's, there you're reminded a lot, so it's extra shocking that that would happen. And it's the, it's the same thing. It's kind of taking this trope that we've all accepted as true and then saying, just kidding, doesn't actually matter in the midst of war. Yeah. Which is probably, you know, a more real way to tell it. Yeah, I agree. 
the the biggest thing that was a shock for me yeah, on the rewatch we just did more than anything else is Roose Bolden. But that you never even did you don't even see him the first time through. I remember at the Red Wedding being like, who's this guy again? Yeah. Like, who's this? D- didn't even, you first time, you don't even see him. The su- and then upon subsequent the watches, you realize, oh, he's, he's everywhere. everywhere. He's a huge character. He's Rob's, like, number two. I just never connected. It's kind of like the and first Rob time. And Rob is I- constantly ignoring him, constantly being distracted yes. when Roos is in the room with him. Like, But you just don't notice Roos. I didn't because also. Because he just looks like a generic white dude. Well, it's like the first time I tried to watch House of Cards. Or oh, I remember trying to watch hard. West Wing, and I was like, I just, they're all 60-year-old white men in a suit. I don't know who's who, and I don't care. Like, I just couldn't <laughs> yeah, keep track. You, kind of, have that, you I, kind of have that feeling with yeah, all Roos. It's like there's no identifying factor until the second time through I realized Roos witnessed every one of Rob's missteps. Every one. Over and over and over again. So he's ready. Roos was ready to throw in the Step towel right on in. old Rob. Yeah, he was yeah. like, that guy's got to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again... Another thing to really think about is just like watching how your perspective creates the narratives in which you live in. Mm-hmm. You know, your expectations. The, the, your expectations, the narratives of your relationships with people, of what happens to you in your life, and beginning to really well, and, ha- find ways to step away from those narratives. Well, and what's happened before, just like you said with the Marvel narrative of like, or any superhero narrative where we expect the main character to make it through. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a lack of tension in like a fight scene with Ember Sun because you know nothing's actually going to happen. And so with that, it's like that's what we're, we've expected all along. And so trying to notice if you have those things in the rest of your life too. What do you expect to happen and what happens when it doesn't go that way? Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Now let's get to our awards for the show. Yes, so, I mean, while these, like, in theory, deeper themes are interesting, I also think that it's just fun to reflect on the show. It's just fun to enjoy it. Because remember, it is entertainment, and, you know, you've got to have your fun with it. We have a a list of awards that now that the show is complete, and should these things maybe change later with all the new prequels, and if the Winds of Winter, and the Springs, and all the, the books that are supposedly coming out ever come out, maybe they'll change. Um, but for now, we're going to go off the information we have and do you want to do like a little drum roll? I don't know how to do that, but yeah, sure. Let's just assume the drum roll. We need a sound effect probably for it. We do. We don't Um, have one. Okay. Who is your most improved character? (sighs) Gotta go with my girl Sansa. From season one to season eight? Yes. Yeah. Intolerable. Intolerable. Can't watch her on season one. Whiny little... Ugh. Brat. <laughs> Every scene I was like, gotta go. I do remember disliking any Sansa-centric episodes at the beginning, yeah. being like, okay, enough of this little one, like, what else we got? Pretty much until Ned dies, is, she's pretty uninteresting. Yeah. The whole first season. Yes. And then when you see her start to kind of um, plot and revolt against Joffrey, that first moment when she challenges him on the bridge, um, when she when he shows her Ned's You start head, to see she's playing the game. Well, you start to see her wheels begin to turn. Mm-hmm. And you start to see her kind of move from the little bird into yeah. a more fully fledged character. Yes. And then by the end, also her acting chops vastly improve as well. Well, she's like 10 when it That's starts. what I mean. I mean, it's been 10 years. So she. What do you really, what do you really expect? She's 10. Yes. She's like, you know. Vastly improved. Much improvement. I would say that is my vote as well. I would agree. All right, cool. Sansa. Yeah. Two in, for two. In full agreement. I can't even think of another character. That improves as much as Sansa does yeah. throughout. I mean, she's a dud in the beginning. She's hard to watch. And she's certainly hard to root for or, or give two shits about. Yes. <laughs> Especially because 
choices she makes in impact Ned dying as well things like that and because in the beginning she likes Joffrey and Joffrey is terrible my golden lion yes from phase one I was like come on yes this dude is the worst Joffrey's Joffrey's been terrible the worst yeah all right well speaking of of Joffrey um next award goes to the best villain you know gotta go with Sansa's biggest rival she really has the two best villains in the show but but I would rate them Ramsay one Joffrey two oh I I think Ramsay is Another stellar actor. Phenomenal. And great villain. He's crushing it when he's on the scene. He is. And he is a he's good... He's really the only person a, you pay attention to when he's in he there. He is. The seasons that he is in are all engrossing and also, like, appalling. But he... I can't watch him in anything else. Because I can only see him as Ramsay. I mean, you couldn't see him as a nice guy. You could see him as a villain. Sure. But, like, in anything else, he just kind of gives you... Like, makes your skin crawl. He has a band, doesn't he? Uh, I don't know if he has a band. Yeah. Either way. Grey Worm does. Yeah. Grey Worm does. Grey Worm's a rapper. I think Ramsey has a band. Oh, that that sounds about right. Um, Fodor's a DJ. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Ramsey would be my top villain. Joffrey would be the second. Um, Again, if you're a Daenerys fan, Tyrion is a villain, in my opinion, because he limits her from the throne, gives her terrible advice, hinders her claims, you know? Who is not a villain, though. See, I think I'm going to say my best villain, and you're going to say he's not a villain. Who? Which I think the best villain is, I think Ramsay is is up there, and I think Tywin Lannister. Tywin's not a villain. That's perspective. But that's what I'm saying. I think from the perspective of Tywin as a villain, he is a superb villain because he's calculated, he's smart, he makes the right moves. His, His downfall is ultimately... His, his, ba- his personal, lame kids. Well, it's his own kids. Yeah, it's his, and it's his. His downfall is ultimately his devotion to his family, yeah. keeping his kids alive. Yes. But by, by making the mistake of of caring for Tyrion, even when uh, Tyrion gets taken in the beginning, and they go after to save him, Jamie I think says to Tyrion, he's like, "You don't even like Tyrion," and yeah. Tywin's like, "He's still a Lannister. Yeah. If I don't save him, it's gonna show everyone in the realm that you could just take." A Lannister, even the worst one, mm-hmm. without consequence. Totally. That ultimately his downfall is his own in that way. Yeah. But him as a calculated quote unquote villain, just as the opposition, he's such he's so compelling every time he's on screen. It's yeah. like Ramsey in the same way that you can't help but watch him. All of his I mean he's acting circles around people. Sometimes. Yeah, all of his he's monologues slated. and his scenes are just epic. And he has nuance as a villain. He's not just pure evil. But again, because he's not evil. But like, that's what I mean. Uh, like, like Ramsey is evil. Well, he's a villain in Joffrey, the Joker sense of the word. Jo- yes, Joffrey is evil. Tywin, just because it's a Stark story, mm-hmm. is, um, the is the villain. But if you're if the story is told from a Lannister perspective, he's here. you have this like this hero old man dad trying to keep it together for his family. I mean, that's pretty much like the like the top drama of the year. You it's know like what I mean? Taken that's, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, that pretty much is I'll taken. I'll take do anything yeah. for my kids. I do anything for these degenerate kids that I have yes. that that well, sleep with one another and and he's blinded by him. I mean, his hatred for Tyrion, but his need to keep him alive because because of the name, because the yeah. family. And he's so blind that he doesn't even see what Cersei and Jaime are doing. Of mm-hmm. all the things he knows, he still doesn't believe when Cersei yeah. says, oh, you really don't know, do you? Yeah. And he, he really hadn't let himself realize. And that's when he lo- that's when he and took that's, the L. And that is, that's, that's, when, he, when, he that's when he realized he was blinded by his own like, faith to his family. Mm-hmm. I just think he's, 
you could put him in the villain category and why I think he would be the best is because he's multifaceted. Yeah. Because he's not just pure evil. Like all of those scenes with him and Arya at Harrenhal Very good. are some of the best and such an interesting relationship and dynamic. Yeah. That the, make him a this is the wrong word, but like a lovable, interesting villain. Mm. Multifaceted. Well, villain. I mean Heath Ledger as a Joker is a lovable, interesting yes, villain. Right? Precisely. Like you're like, oh, you're what he's doing is terrible, but like you're intrigued by Heath Ledger. Yes. You know mm. what I mean? Absolutely. Because you just said the Joker a second ago. That's true. I will say, though, the biggest writing fail for Tywin, in my opinion, and this would have made him a bit more of a villain, even uh, just a bit more of a bad guy, mm-hmm. It would if they would have shown a bit more of him taking the... Because in the show, whatever Tyrion's, the hooker that he brings to King's Landing with Shay. him... Shay. yeah. She's... They play it in the show like they're in a relationship, like, like really, they love each love. other. That's not the case in the books. No, they're not. It's not the lovey-dovey. I'll do anything for you, my little lion mm. relationship. She's yeah. pretty stoked to be in King's Landing and just doing her own shit. Yeah, but in the show, they play it like they are lovers. Yes, not just. Uh, you know, well, like truly, she wants to have hooker. a life with him. Yes. Yes. Exactly, and so they play it that way. And if they actually showed Tyrion, or excuse me, Tywin. Stealing a woman from Tyrion, yes, like uh, a dad stealing a woman from his son, like that's kind of like, oh, that's a shitty dude. You know what I mean? Like you're like, oh, that's yes, that's pretty, Mm -hmm. that's pretty, that's stooping low. In the show, it's almost shocking when you're like, why is Shay here? Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. Like it was, it was really poorly executed in my Mm -hmm. opinion. One, one of the first forays into bad execution. Yeah, it was Um, missing. Yeah, yeah, it it just like didn't really connect. The dots didn't connect on that one. Yeah. But I thought if they played into that, it would have it made him a bit more of a bad guy. But in my opinion, Tywin's kind of a dick, but really he's the only one that's keeping it together for his family. So Yes, and you, he's you making gotta, decisions for, in theory, his, yeah. his vision of the greater good. Yes. I mean, his line, it's like you said, it's only because it's a Stark-centric story that is he technically a villain. When he says, killing a few wolves at a wedding yeah. is worth saving the lives of, I can't remember the exact line, but of... Yeah. of thousands of men yeah and ending a war and yes. truly we all see the red wedding as appalling but if you're on the other side yeah killing a couple lords and ladies to call it a day so no more soldiers have to die to thousands that's upon thousands of is people not a villainous to thing to do whether you broke bread or not yes so it's conflicting and multi-dimensional which i think makes it more interesting yeah makes it for a good discussion what do we got next okay best character overall numero uno and I'm going to say best, but I suppose this could be your favorite. Because favorite, let's give, give me your emotional favorite. And then you can say if you really think they're the best. Cal Drogo. Short but sweet. Much loved. Through Cal a Drogo. controller at the TV. Patrick was ready to walk on the whole show as soon as Cal Drogo died. He was ready to turn it off and never look back. He was my hero. I know. But alas, he didn't have a long enough trajectory in the show. Uh, who is the best character to me? based on the events of the show. I mean, Arya feels like an easy pick. Like, she has an interesting arc. There's not so much depressing stuff around it. Like we said, like Sansa's, like, most improved character. But really, when you look at Sansa's arc, like, it's pretty hard to watch because she gets raped a lot of times and trauma. And there's a weird conflicting message with Sansa, too, of trauma makes you stronger mm-hmm. that she's only stronger because of her trauma which is kind of fucked up 
I think, I'm not but, saying it's not true, but they, this show kind of plays into this arc that yeah. I wouldn't be who I was without stuff. And that's true, but but is that de- the defining message that we're really going for with trauma? Yeah, I, I think they kind of threw messages out the window. But Yeah, true. I don't think they were going for any anything at the end there besides finishing the show and starting Star Wars. <clears throat> yeah, but but I think her, her arc is a bit too traumatic. Um, you know, as, as much as I dislike him for large portions of the show, like, John is pretty good in seasons five and six. John is I'm, great I'm a Daenerys fan through and through the show. Um, but even, but a bit, you know, I think one of the things that makes the show so interesting, to be honest, is that y- you move through favorite characters. Like, you yes, move. Yes, it evolves. Like, yeah, it, it kind of, like, changes over time. Mm-hmm. Because nobody is really consistent in terms of what they're doing. True. There's no one ha- plays a flat line the entire time. Maybe the mountain. <laughs> He's pretty, solid. Pretty pretty flat. You know? Yeah. He just wants vengeance on his bro. Mm-hmm. Respect. Yeah. Who are you leaning towards? So my best emotional character, like my favorite character, is John. Ugh. Just because I always love John. I mean, yes, he's also attractive, and I like John in general. Like I just emotionally liked him before he even became a good character. But I always liked the arc of being at the wall and being at the Night's Watch. And so I think I was drawn to him also because I thought that that storyline was interesting. I wanted more stuff north. And I loved him and Yegret, and so all of that made me like him more. And then in the later seasons before... But don't you think the... the, And apparently this is due to off-screen friendships, but the relationship between John and Danny was terrible on the show. Oh, so this is so I'm because a John fan, but I am not a Danny fan or a John and Danny fan. Yeah. I was never convinced by that. They didn't I don't like think it other. was I don't think it was done well. There wasn't enough nuance. I mean we had that, that was like nineties like rom com level chemistry. Yeah, it, it wasn't was bad. And it was like teen movie status. Well and also I think off screen, yeah, obviously he had because, more chemistry with Yeager because they're literally married and they and, fell in love on the and show. She Dan or Amelia Clark had a hard time apparently she's friends because she's friends with um rose i can't remember it's okay yeah yingrit yeah um but john to me got better as a character as he got stronger and went through more things he had more compelling scenes to me with all the different battles he was involved in he made more mistakes that made sense like Mm -hmm. in the battle of the bastards doing exactly what he wasn't supposed to do when he's one of the commanders but when he sees his brother yeah like making mistakes and paying for them and then trying to come back from it. I thought he was more interesting. And then later in season six and seven, even when the story kind of degrades in some places or we start to time travel, like episodes go months in between, like nothing happened, John still maintains a really strong character. And it's only in season eight when they decide to give him like four lines that <laughs> that things go down for hill for him. John becomes a side piece. Yeah, where all of a sudden he's not the main it's character. It's pretty much his show. story. I mean, he's the hero. He is it is his, his hero story. story ultimately. Yeah. And it's about defying who we think we are, who people tell we are and making until choices for our own until the 8th season. Until the 8th season. <laughs> he kind of is story. that embodiment of what of that Mance Raider quote of like trying to like have the freedom to make his own mistakes and figure out who he is and not be confined by the term of bastard or stark or anything like that. Until season eight, when we just decide that instead he should just only utter "She is my queen" yeah. over and over again until he kills her. Yes, um, which is a bummer for me because emotionally he's my favorite character, and I think he had such a compelling arc that they just mishandled atrociously. Yeah, and again, it, 
changes the entire narrative of the show. That's mm-hmm. my biggest qualm with the eighth season, especially, is because it's done in such a rushed fashion mm-hmm. that it changes the entire narrative of so many characters. It changes the feeling of all of them. Yeah, all it just your, changes your the entire emotional narrative. ties to them start to just kind of go out the window for spectacle. Yes. Truly, though, do I think best character, one of the best characters, I think is the Hound. The Hound. I think yes, the Hound that's what I is, meant to say instead of the Mountain. No, instead of the mountain yeah. first, but the hound. I think the Hound is a great character through and through. Yeah. I think his arc really works. I think watching him struggle with his compulsions and his hatred and his vitriol, but also his self-awareness is really interesting. And I think that the Hound is one of the truly, like, the best characters and I could have watched like whole seasons worth of him and Arya like the Roadshow. Yeah, it was, it was really good. That I just yeah. think that the Hound through and through was a really well handled character. Yeah. All the way up until like the Clegane Super Bowl that happened at the end until fantastic until yeah that was awesome. all of that was handled really well and I think he's probably the best through and through character yeah. for the whole story. Yeah. Um, I I would say I would say uh, what's her name as well Arya Arya just. Yes. Just because I, I also think her arc is actually complete. I think her arc Ooh. actually completes really well. Yes. In terms of she kills the Night King and then she tries to kill Cersei. But the world essentially stops her from doing that. Right? Yes. And so you're like, oh, no matter what, there are situations that are out of your control. No matter how skilled you are. No matter how powerful you become. Well, she's no been trying to control how much you she was a little kid. That to happen. Yeah. No matter what, all of a sudden, there's things that are going to be in your way. Well, I mean, she was so, her life was so out of control from the moment that Ned died to when she gets to the twins and she sees what Mm -hmm. happened at the Red Wedding, that everything she does from there on out is about control. Mm -hmm. I'll be the best fighter. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do this. And so even all the way through, when she gets all the way to King's Landing, when the Hound finally reminds her, like, this is where hate gets you. Yes. And like, this is going to be over. Yes. But you don't have to die. Yes. And I I know people hated on that turn or that scene, but I thought that that I was, actually thought it was great. I thought it was good too. And I, I thought that was fantastic because again, it, it really shows that it's it's about your process. And again, we're such people about the process, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like but and loving the process and being part of that. But like her process allowed her to do things that she never thought possible, you know, uh, overcome the many faced god, mm-hmm. become a skilled warrior kill the night king but then that goal that initial goal that she set out for mm-hmm. herself in season one mm-hmm. to kill cersei she didn't accomplish right I'm, and and that's out of her control trolled. and i thought that was actually like super clean yes i will say in my like game of thrones dreams mm-hmm. where we fulfill the prophecies and everything about the prince that was promised and the valonqar actually exist i did really want somehow Arya to kill jamie Take Jamie's face and then kill Cersei as Jamie. That would have been pretty savage. It would have but... been really savage and a great use of her skill as a faceless man. A great way to fulfill the prophecy of Cersei being strangled yeah. by the younger brother because Jamie is technically the younger twin. Mm-hmm. And a very satisfying way for Cersei to die given everything that we've been through with her. Yeah. My only thing with that is a little too clean. Like, you think that's it, clean? It, no, it's just like it's like too many things working. Yes, but it, I'm saying if we were to assume that prophecies yeah. were actually going to come true, which is I understand that part of prophecy is like I'll say we put too second. much weight in prophecy, and so in theory 
prophecies are so what are kind of there to derail us as watchers or as as consumers is here's this prophecy we expect it to come true but at the same time it's a prophecy and it might not yeah but if it were to all be fulfilled that would have been a very satisfying use of Arya's training power and and tying things up into a neater bow for book readers as well as far as fan theories go is that one better than mine which i'm going to share with people right now Okay, Which, let's just let's make a new award. Best fan theory. Best fan theory. That was so my that's fan, Karin's theory. fan theory. This is this is my fan theory, which would have made the show, in my opinion, flawless. <laughs> okay, so 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 in season seven, yes, when John is stuck in the north, in the middle of the lake with the crew, the ragtag squad. Yes, when Danny joins him for the battle in the north when they're going via to try text to text message. <laughs> yes, she just beams right over with the dragons to save them. But right? when they're going over to take a white walker to show to Cersei. Yes, that's they're, the one. they're going also a very misguided act. Very misguided act, but right? But irregardless the battle is cool. Irregardless the battle is sweet. Mm-hmm. But in that battle uh, when Daenerys loses the first dragon John also almost dies and he could have died. And if John dies in that battle and a dragon dies in that battle too, then John becomes the Night King. John rides the dragon. Daenerys versus John, the battle of fire and ice. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. It just doesn't. Like yes. John leading the army of the dead. If we would have had White Walker John. White Walker John. On White Walker or, Dragon. On White Walker Dragon versus Daenerys and dragon number two flawless well and we truly flawless. get a, we get a story of fire and ice in like a, a combative way but we also get a usefulness for the white walkers and for the night King. oh my god we get a purpose for this and we may of, even get more episodes of them battling so it's like not just the one yeah. 90 minutes of like sheer intensity and insanity but we get like multiple episodes of yes. of like losing hope and of and John really becomes the king in the north and and yeah exactly and like who do you root for you're a John fan like in that situation it brings up so much juiciness and I was just like oh my gosh that was the other one of this uh the second time I almost quit on the show was when that didn't Didn't happen happen. I was like oh my gosh this could have been this like the moment for split second of this is gonna be the best thing ever I was so excited I was like this is a moment for sheer greatness you guys it is I grew up watching a ton of anime and so Anime has weird narratives forever and always, and that's why I love it, because it's just not these generic American narratives. Oh, it's constantly unexpected. It's constantly unexpected. And so I was like, no way. This is going full anime status. And it's going like, great. And it's going to be epic. Like, you can't touch how fantastic this would be. Mm-hmm. Because again, like, people might have not even been mad if John takes down Danny on the White Walker dragon. You know what I mean? Like, well, that changes everything. But it also gives everything. us, finally, a reason, well, me, to truly root for Danny. Yeah. Like, if you're going to root for the living, then you have to root for Danny, and she has to really make a choice. Um, and you can't, all of that other stuff doesn't matter because now, at the end of the day, what's the battle really for? Yeah. Now, and the battle also becomes so much more personal. Mm-hmm. Like, because, like, oh my goodness, John on the dragon. Like, could you imagine that John on the dragon burning Oh, what down? a better use of CGI than the magic carpet ride we got with them, too, on the dra- dragons in the north. Oh, my Where they gosh. just, like, fly through the... 100% unnecessary. And why she's, she's shocked that he's a, a Targaryen. I'm like, well, he just got on the dragon and it was NBD. Yeah. No one else can ride dragons but Targaryens. Yeah. Then, oh, my God, are you sure you're really a Targaryen? Obviously. Yeah. yeah. 
obviously. We're already cool. And then and then Sam actually becomes a valuable character because they Sam could be like John can ride the dragon. Yes. Like wait, Mm -hmm. John can ride the dragon. That's like a big deal. You know what I mean? Because. Like in the way the show plays out, like John even dying is pointless. Like it makes no sense. They do nothing with well, it. Well, that's the problem Sam, with all the prince that was yeah, promised stuff Sam, not getting tied up. Is so for what purpose did John come back? Is it or, just or to what, kill Danny? Or what purpose does is John being a dragon rider really even have in the John show? John being a Targaryen means next to nothing at the end of the day. That, that's what I mean. Because Jon Snow the bastard could have done the same thing and yeah. could have killed Danny in the same way. Yes, Although because it wouldn't John have does triggered nothing. her. Yeah, because John does nothing in the. Um, no one even learns of his parentage. It doesn't matter. That, that's what I mean. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. Like at matter. the end of the day, when they're wondering, well, what should we do with John? Let's send him back to the north. And it's like, well, no, we should actually keep him here because he's literally the heir to the throne, and everyone else who kills a ruler just becomes the next king. Yeah. Like Robert Baratheon got to be king after he killed the Mad King. Yeah. Or after they killed the Mad King, Jamie's help. But so it doesn't matter. Just kick the insulate out, and John should still be in charge. Like, yeah. We all forgive him because she was bad. Exactly. So uh, yeah, there's a I mean, bad there's in perspective of the people yeah. of Westeros. Yes, true. Not bad in terms of her crew. Her crew was down with her. All right. Okay. Let's keep it pushing. All right. Your best ship. Oh, like ship. Like the best. Like who do not you boat. ship? Who do you, not not boat? Who do you ship the most? What who? What relationship? Oh, Real the, or perceived? Oh, the best one is uh, John and Ingrid. They were in love, and That's they true. were in love actually. So like, so they were good. Yeah, so it plays. You know what I mean? It totally plays. Like, it's a heartbreaking scene when she's shooting him when he's running away oh, and it's a heartbreaking scene when, when she, she dies, dies. right is. like like that's you're like oh like that is it is truly heartbreaking a, that, that's that's like the most emotion mm-hmm. um that I thought I was like oh like in terms of relationships that was good also again Cal Drago that's my boy like I'll always throw up a vote for him and my girl Daenerys shout out to Yokai who just <laughs> decided to get up and shake himself out um, um, yeah, I think so too. I think other ships that I that I quite liked is um, Arya and Gendry. Mm, forced. The only forced at the end. Yeah. I mean, it's hilarious that he asks her to marry him, and she's like, "Nah, I'm good." Yeah. Um, I think that could have gone in a different way, but I liked them earlier when she's younger, and she's like, "I could be your family." Yeah. And she's like desperate for a companionship, yeah. and he's. I mean, again, he's a show invention. So there's not much like besides what's in the show that we could ever expect to get from that storyline. But I liked them. I thought that was cute. And uh, Sansa and Ramsay doesn't make your list. No, that Sansa doesn't make my list. Terrible. Um, yeah, I think those are my main ones. I mean, yeah. best ship I think for sure is John and Ygritte. Yeah, for sure. Oh, maybe Tormund and Brienne. Mm, doesn't happen just though. No, but I'm saying that's my like like my dream ship just because she's he he does really like her. Yeah, but but she liked Jamie, and that that was that could almost have been a relationship if he didn't like, you know, that was like the experience. That that was like she's all that status. No, that was never before the end. That was never going to be the good relationship. I know. Her and Tormund could have could have had more more going on. I think. All right. What's next? I would say uh, our our number. Let's say. The next award, I've got a couple, but I'm trying to decide what, what let's I think. Do, let's do worst scene, biggest loser, and then end on a positive note, best episode. All right. Uh, let's also do uh, biggest biff. Biggest biff. Yeah, like who biffs it the worst in the show? Like who just really biffs it and, and, and screws it up and it's their own fault? I mean, you got to go with Stannis because he burns his daughter alive. 
yes, that's a choice that doesn't go well. <laughs> and you know, like there's almost no perspective where you're like, terrible oh, thing to this, laugh about, by you know, the way. In this narrative, I see why Stannis did that. There's no narrative where you're like, yeah, 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 Stannis, that was good that you burnt your daughter alive. Yeah. It's pretty much all downhill for, from there. For yourself. Yes. For, for your own glory. Yes. It is pretty much all downhill from there for he Stannis. He doesn't even last another episode. So yeah, it's, 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 it's actually he over. Does, he lasts another episode. Because he goes, they he, they get um, defeated in the battle. Yeah. And then Brienne and finds him in the woods him. and kills him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's by far biggest. I mean, come on. Uh, yes. Beyond biggest brutal. Biff. Also, again, the big, biggest Biff early on could have solved a lot of problems. Ned stepping up and taking the throne. Yep. Or Arya using one of her kills on Tywin Lannister when she's at Harrenhal. Yep. She's with him all the time. She doesn't see it. She's young. She's she's stuck in that trap of, is this guy really bad or not? And yeah. what should I do? And she's just stuck in the trap of her own narrative yeah. coming back to oh, one I of her actual points. I just need to survive. I, I need to get survive. out of here. But if she you know, uses one of her many face kills on Tywin... That, Instead of like on guards to get yeah, out of here, she could have ended the war right a long there. time ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, not being able to think bigger picture. Yeah, true. That'd Very be a um, Okay, worst scene. Worst scene by far is when the second dragon dies. Yes. Pinpoint accuracy. Rhaegal gets just... Yeah, coming coming from the side, when which, meanwhile, it took, like, one shot, one kill on that from, like, two miles away, and all Daenerys literally needed to do was fly up into the clouds, go to the other sides of the boats, which were caught in between, like, kind of two rocks yes. that or they were hiding behind. Or just burned them from above. And then burned them. So... Also, since when is Euron a crack shot like that with a device that is brand new? Yeah. But, that but, just got invented. But but also again yeah, yeah the crack shotness of it but also that she could have just iced them down within ten second. seconds yes. yeah like complete like boom okay like yeah you killed you, you and know, that somehow class. ships are being exploded and somehow Miss Sandy is captured yeah fully like none of it makes any sense it's how horrible. do they even know she's important to Danny like there's no yeah that whole scene is a really really unfortunate. Uh, it's part of the series because it doesn't even serve to really further the narrative in an effective way. Because Danny losing the second dragon is an important part of her route to expediting this path to the Mad Queen. Yes. But that should have happened during the battle at King's Landing, mm-hmm. triggering her to all of a sudden burn down the rest of the city and be like, screw this, screw you guys. Yeah. But it happened before, which makes it seem like burning down West or King's Landing is premeditated. Yeah. But we're also told that it's not, and she did it in the moment. So it's not that it was a problem that Rhaegal died. It's just that why kill him the episode before when you could have used it as an effective plot device like in that moment? And why make it in such a lame way? Like two shots down into the ocean then we just never talk about it again? No, just like, oh, he's gone. Peace out. Yeah. And, and also, again, I think it's a great point that you brought up there, which is one of the things the show does really well early on, making sure that the characters don't know what we, the audience, know. But yes. in that scene... The characters do know what we, the audience, knows when they shouldn't know it. Like mm-hmm. the value of Miss Sandy, right? Yes. And Miss Sandy should mean nothing should to mean them. Should mean nothing. They should have no idea that... I mean, they know she has advisors, but capturing Tyrion or anyone else should be more logical than capturing Miss Sandy. They shouldn't know. Yeah. It shouldn't... And it just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So, that would be my worst yeah. scene. Worst scene. Right. Um, biggest loser. At the end of the day, the biggest loser out of the entire... 
series. It's not even a character. It is the double Ds. It is. It is the double Ds. The double Ds and probably, unfortunately, HBO. HBO and the double Ds. <laughs> biggest loser. Honestly, I've been saying this a bit. I would be shocked if HBO doesn't sue them or have some <laughs> way to do that for dam- for property damage. Yeah. Um, because your hi- my hype on a prequel is on the prequels is way lower because of how poorly this ended and it's just i i uh i have no interest in their star wars trilogy and i'm a massive star wars fan and i'm I would nervous almost, i would almost boycott their adaptation are you gonna of star sign wars. a change.org petition i uh i wouldn't sign a change.org <laughs> petition i'm not into that but um that's that's above my level of commitment but I, I don't think i would go and i've seen everything star wars like it, like it would really see i don't have that one kind of willpower i would still absolutely go but I would. I am very skeptical of that, and I am yeah. nervous about. And Star Wars them. fans are not pumped on them running no. running a Star Wars show. And that's what I think and is so funny for them. And also, there's a rumor that there's not going to be lightsabers in it. At all. Yeah. Is there not going to be Jedi's at all? This, this is what I mean. This is just what I'm. This Because we're subversive. You expect lightsabers in Star Wars? Nope. Can't do Star Wars without you lightsabers. You expect just Jedi's. fulfill the prophecies? Nope. Can't do Star Wars without lightsabers uh. and Jedi's. Yeah, I mean, you can, but it's not like... You, I mean, Rogue One and stuff, you can do that, but it's still the same universe. Darth Vader's in it. True. You and do he so Darth. You get a, good, a really good Darth scene Epic in Rogue One. Best, best Darth scene on film, Yeah, actually. true, actually. Yeah, yeah, That's not in, like, Rebels or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the biggest losers because their value as creators and... Uh, they just... Their stock was so high, and they plummeted themselves. Yeah. Which is a bummer. And for yeah. HBO, too. Because HBO offered them 10 episodes this last season, too. And would have kept going. Would have kept going. And they, and they were like, no, nah, we got it in six. And I watched the documentary. I'm, this is nothing against how much work was put into this season. But ultimately, the things that were the problems were things based in script and storytelling, not in episode episodic execution or costumes or scenes or any of that. Well, because of bad writing. That's what I'm saying. Their, their execution is bad. It's not to take away not from the, the people who created the episodes and worked really hard on them, but the fact that they couldn't just get their shit together and have some patience to really tell the story well. I think they were just done writing fan fiction for George. Yeah. And they were like, get me out of here. Yeah, Which is a failure on George's part, too. Yeah. If George would have just finished it, everyone would have been. Because I think they were stalling for time for a lot during season six and stuff like that. And finally, they were like, we got to just do this. Yeah, we got to push ahead. Keep marching on. Yeah, which was a mistake. Okay, best episode. Finish the podcast strong. Of the whole thing. Best episode. Ironic as this is for me, Mm -hmm. I'll go first because you seem to be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It's the Battle at Winterfell. Oh, it's the single most intense uh, 90 minutes of television I've ever seen. It truly is. In terms of like execution and rewatchability, probably Battle of the Bastards. Like, looks mm-hmm. this is probably one of the best battle scenes I've ever seen it's phenomenal but I will say in terms of intensity and like holy shit and like we were all sitting here like silent edge of your seat edge of your seat like, I just had to like sit in silence for 90 minutes afterwards it was a whole movie of suspense like yes. a movie's length of suspense suspense yeah like intensity I have to lean towards that I know people hate on that for the quote unquote military strategy get out of here and for that it's dark I mean it's a nighttime battle episode what yeah. you really expect like I can I can forgive those things with ease because I was so plugged into 
that episode, I don't think I could have been more plugged into a single episode of TV. Yeah. And, and and credit to the show for building us up to that point. There's lots of things I wish happened. Like, I wish more main characters died in it. I wish that it was two episodes long. I wish that there was any acknowledgement that it fucking happened the mm-hmm. next episode. Yeah. We were like, the Night King's dead. Guess all this stuff is yeah, over. No more criticism, though. Okay. That's okay. Your, your favorite episode. Okay, let's, my favorite. Let's leave it. My favorite episode, I think, is the battle at Hartholm. When they go up north, John goes up north to get the wildlings and to convince them that the Night King is coming and that you need to leave. You need to come through the wall and come to the to the Night's Watch, and I will help protect you. And the Night King. That's shows also when up. Danny saves Marine in that same episode. Could be. Is it the same episode? I think so. Maybe same yeah. episode or two, but the one at Hartholm with the wildlings, yeah. where John kind of first battles the, with the boats with yeah with the boats, and when he. When they start to float away from the pier and he looks back and the Night King looks at him and he raises raises his arms and everyone stands back up and they really realize what they're up against. I think that episode is very well crafted. Yeah. And we get interesting dialogue with the free folk and a different set of people. I just think that that episode is, I think that's probably my favorite battle of the whole thing is that one. That's my fave. Respect. Yes. It's Jon Snow at his finest. Peak John. Peak John Snow. First, kind of pink, peak Night King. Yeah, peak Night King too, for sure. I mean, that moment when he lifts his arms and everyone stands up. Number is, one, number one GIF from the show. Is it? Probably. Probably. Undeniably powerful, and you just realize like truly what they're up against, which is why it's such a letdown later. Yeah. But that episode is really powerful, and that's like peak story arc of, of everything in the North for me. Yeah. Oh, there you have it. We condensed down. Even though this is quite a long podcast episode. I'm sure this is way too long. (laughs) We're coming into the casual, almost one hour and 20 minutes. Longer than any other podcast is us just rambling about Game of Thrones. And kicking a little bit of outside perspective in there. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, But again, if you like these kinds of episodes where we talk a bit about pop culture and bring in a bit more of a thinking process, let us know. Um, If you enjoy the podcast, of course, let us know. We hope to see you again on Monday. Of course, if you want to do yoga training with us, <laughs> you can find all of that information on patrickbeach.com. Um, next workshops will be in Europe end of September through October, teaching in uh, Scotland at a Scottish yoga conference, teaching in Dublin for a teacher's intensive, teaching in Amsterdam for a weekend of workshops, and then teaching our yearly inversion training at Indaba, um, that, that whatever, this October 16th to 20th or something like that. So <laughs> it's in there with the workshops We're as well in London. We're going to next time. Yeah, I need it. I really do. You have the computer for me, but we don't have time to look it up. Um, anyways, guys, thank you so much, and we will uh, chat with you all soon. Talk next time.